Chapter Two of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Two. Dr. Marchbanks was so far from feeling the lack of his daughter's powers of consolation that he kept her at Mount Pleasant for three years longer, during which time, it is supposed, he managed to be comfortable, after a benighted fashion, good enough for a man of fifty, who had come to an end of his illusions. To be sure, there were in the world, and even in Carlingford, kind women, who would not have objected to take charge of the doctor in his establishment, and be a comfort to him. But, on the whole, it was undeniable that he managed tolerably well in external matters, and gave very good men's dinners, and kept everything in perfect order so far as it went. Naturally, the fairer part of existence was left out altogether in that grim, though well-ordered house. But then he was only a man and a doctor, and knew no better. And, while the feminine part of Grange Lane regarded him with natural pity, not only for what he lacked, but for a still more sad defect, his total want of perception on this subject, their husbands and fathers rather liked to dine with the doctor, and brought home accounts of sauces which were enough to drive any woman to despair. Some of the ladies of Grange Lane, Mrs. Chiley, for example, who was fond of a good living herself, and liked, as she said, a little variety, laid siege to the doctor, and did their best to coax his receipts out of him. But Dr. Marchbanks knew better than that. He gave all the credit to his cook, like a man of sense, and, as that functionary was known in Carlingford to be utterly regardless and unprincipled in respect to gravy beef, and the materials for stock or consommé, as some people called it, society was disinclined to exert its extraordinary arts to seduce so great an artist from the kitchen of her indulgent master. Then there were other ladies who took a different tone. "'Dr. Marchbanks, poor man, has nothing but his table to take up his mind,' said Mrs. Sentum, who had six children. "'I never heard that the heart could be nourished upon sauces, for my part, and for a man who has his children's future to think of. I must say I am surprised at you, Mr. Sentum.' As for young Mrs. Woodburn, her reply was still more decisive, though milder in its tone. "'Poor cook, I am so sorry for her,' said the gentle young matron. "'You know, you always like something for breakfast, Charles, and then there is the children's dinner, and our lunch, and the servants' dinner, so that the poor thing is worn out before she comes to what you call the great event of the day. And you know how angry you were when I asked for a kitchen-maid for her, poor soul.' The consequence of all this was that Dr. Marchbanks remained unrivalled in Grange Lane, in this respect at least. When rumours arose in Carlingford of a possible second marriage for the doctor, and such rumours naturally arose three or four times in the course of three years, the men of Grange Lane said, Heaven forbid! No wife in the world could replace Nancy, said Colonel Chiley, after that fervent aspiration, and none could put up with her while, on the other side, there were curious speculations afloat as to the effect upon the house, and especially upon the table of the daughter's return. When a young woman comes to be eighteen, it is difficult to keep her at school, and though the doctor had staved off the danger for the moment, by sending Lucilla off along with one of her schoolfellows, whose family was going abroad, 
to make orthodox acquaintance with all the Swiss mountains and all the Italian capitals, still that was plainly an expedient for the moment, and a new mistress to the house, which had got along so well without any mistress, was inevitable. So that it cannot be denied, Miss Marchbank's advent was regarded in Carlingford with as much interest and curiosity as she could have wished for it was already known that the doctor's daughter was not a mild young lady, easy to be controlled, but on the contrary had all the energy and determination to have her own way, which naturally belonged to a girl who possessed a considerable chin, and a mouth which could shut, and tightly curling tawny tresses, which were still more determined than she was, to be arranged only according to their inclination." It was even vaguely reported that some passage of arms had occurred between Miss Marchbanks and the redoubtable Nancy during the short and uncertain opportunities which were afforded by holidays, and the community, accordingly, regarded as an affair of almost municipal importance Lucilla's final return home. As for the young lady herself, though she was at school, she was conscious of having had a career not without importance, even during these three years of pupilage since the day when she began to read political economy with Miss Martha Blunt, who, though the second sister, was the directing spirit of the establishment, Lucilla had exercised a certain influence upon the school itself which was very satisfactory. Perhaps her course might be a little deficient in grace, but grace, after all, is but a secondary quality, and, at all events, Miss Marchbanks went straight forward, leaving an unquestionable wake behind her, and running down with indifference the little skiffs in her way. She was possessed by a nature of that kind of egotism, or rather egoism, which is predestined to impress itself by its perfect reality and good faith upon the surrounding world. These are people who talk of themselves, and think of themselves, as it were, under protest, and with deprecation, not actually able to convince themselves that anybody cares. But Lucilla, for her part, had the calmest and most profound conviction that, when she discussed her own doings and plans and cleverness,es she was bringing forward the subject most interesting to her audience as well as to herself. Such a conviction is never without its fruits. To be sure, there were always one or two independent spirits who revolted, but for the crowd it soon became impressed with the profound belief in the creed which Miss Marchbank supported so firmly— this conviction of the importance and value of her own proceedings made Lucilla, as she grew older, a copious and amusing conversationalist, a rank which few people who are indifferent to, or do not believe in, themselves can attain to. One thing she had made up her mind to as soon as she could return home, and that was to revolutionize society in Carlingford. On the whole, she was pleased with the success of the doctor's dinner, though a little piqued to think that they owed nothing to herself. But Lucilla, whose instinct of government was of the true despotic order, and who had no objection to stoop, if by that means she could conquer, had no such designs against Nancy as were attributed to her by the expectant audience in Carlingford. On the contrary, she was quite as much disposed as her father was to take Nancy for prime minister, for Miss Marchbanks, though too much occupied with herself to divine the characteristic points of other people, had a sensible and thorough belief in those superficial general truths which most minds acquiesce in, without taking the trouble to believe. 
she knew for example that there was a great difference between the brilliant society of london or of paris which appears in books where women have generally the best of it and can rule in their own right and even the very best society of a country town where husbands are very commonly unmanageable and have a great deal more of their own way in respect to the houses they will or will not go to than is good for that inferior branch of the human family miss marchbanks had the good sense to see and appreciate these details and she knew that a good dinner was a great attraction to a man and that in carlingford at least when these refractory mortals were secured the wives and daughters would necessarily follow besides as is not uncommon with women who are clever women and aware of the fact miss marchbanks preferred the society of men and rather liked to say so with all these intentions in her mind it may be imagined that she received coolly enough the invitation of her friend to join in the grand tour and the ready consent given by her father when he heard of it but even the grand tour was a tool which lucilla saw how to make use of nowadays when people go everywhere an untravelled woman would find it so much the harder to keep up the role of a leader of society to which she had devoted herself and she felt to the depth of her heart the endless advantage to her future conversation of the experiences to be acquired in switzerland and italy but she rejected with scorn the insinuation of other accidents that might occur on the way you will never come back again lucilla said one of her companions you will marry some enchanting italian with a beautiful black beard and a voice like an angel and he'll sing serenades to you and do all sorts of things oh how i wish i was you that may be said miss marchbanks but i shall never marry an italian my dear i don't think i shall marry anybody for a long time i want to amuse myself i wonder by the way if it would improve my voice to take lessons in italy did i ever tell you of the italian nobleman that was so very attentive to me that christmas i spent at sissy vernon's he was very handsome i suppose they really are all very handsome except of course the italian masters but i did not pay any attention to him my object dear and you know it is is to return home as well educated as possible to be a comfort to dear papa yes dear lucilla said the sympathetic girl and it is so good of you but do tell me about the italian nobleman what did he look like what did he say oh as for what he said that is quite a different matter said lucilla but it is not what they say but the way that they say it that is the fun i did not give him the least encouragement as for that i think a girl can always stop a man when she does not care for him it depends on whether you intend him to commit himself or not miss marchbanks continued and fixed her eyes meditatively but intently upon her friend's face whether i intend oh goodness lucilla how can you speak so as if i ever intended anything said her companion confused yet flattered by the possibility to which the elder sage answered calmly with all the composure in the world no i never supposed you did i was thinking of myself said lucilla as if indeed that was the only reasonable subject of thought you know i have seen a good deal of the world one way and another with going to spend the holidays and i could tell you quantities of things it is quite astonishing how much experience one gets when i was at midhurst at easter there was my cousin tom who was quite ridiculous i declare he nearly brought things to an explanation fanny which of course of all things in the world i most wanted to avoid 
" Oh, but why, Lucilla ?" cried Fanny, full of delight and wonder. " I do so want to know what they say when they make — explanations, as you call them. Oh, do tell me, Lucilla, why ?"" My dear," said Miss Marjoribanks, " a cousin of my own, and only twenty one, and reading for the bar ! In the first place, my aunt would never have forgiven me ; and I am very fond of my aunt. It's so nice to like all one's relations. I know some girls who can't bear theirs. And then a boy not much older than myself, with nothing but what his mother pleases I Fortunately, he did not just say the words, so I escaped that time. But, of course, I could understand perfectly what he meant." " But oh, Lucilla, tell me the words," cried the persistent questioner. " Do, there's a darling. I am quite sure you have heard them, and I should so like to know exactly what they say. Do they go down on their knees ? Or do they try to take your hand, as they always do in novels ? Or what do they do ? Oh, Lucilla, tell me, there's a dear." " Nonsense," said Lucilla. " I only want you to understand that I am not likely to fall into any danger of that sort. My only ambition, Fanny, as I have told you often, is to go home to Carlingford and be a comfort to dear papa." " Yes," said Fanny, kissing her devoted companion, " and it is so good of you, dear ; but then you cannot go on all your life being a comfort to dear papa," said the intelligent girl, bethinking herself, and looking again with some curiosity in Lucilla's face. "We must leave that to Providence," said Miss Marjoribanks, with a sense of paying a compliment to Providence in entrusting it with such a responsibility. I have always been guided for the best hitherto," she continued, with an innocent and unintentional profanity, which sounded solemn to her equally innocent companion, " and I don't doubt I shall be so till the end." From which it will be perceived that Miss Marjoribanks was of the numerous class of religionists who keep up civilities with heaven, and pay all the proper attentions, and show their respect for the divine government in a manner befitting persons who know the value of their own approbation. The conversation dropped at this point, or Lucilla was too important a person to be left to the undivided possession of an inquisitive innocent like Fanny Middleton, who was only sixteen, and had never even had a flirtation in her own person. There were no Carlingford girls at Mount Pleasant, except poor little Rose Lake, the drawing-master's second daughter, who had been received on Dr. Marchbanks's recommendation, and who heard the little children their geography and reading, and gave them little lessons in drawing by way of paying for her own education. But then Rose was entirely out of Miss Marchbanks's way, and could never count for anything in her designs for the future. The girls at Mount Pleasant were good girls on the whole, and were rather improved by the influence of Lucilla, who was extremely good-natured, and, so long as her superiority was duly acknowledged, was ready to do anything for anybody, so that Rose Lake was not at all badly off in her inferior position. She could be made useful too, which was a great point in her favour, and Miss Marchbanks, who possessed by nature some of the finest qualities of a ruler, instinctively understood and appreciated the instruments that came to her hand. As for Rose, she had been brought up at the School of Design in Carlingford, of which, under the supervision of the authorities who, in those days, inhabited Marlborough House, Mr. Lake was the master. Rose was the pride of the school, in the peaceable days before her mother died. She did not know much else, poor child, except novels, but her copies from the round filled her father with admiration, and her design for a Honiton lace flounce, a spirited composition of dragon's tails and the striking plant called teasel, 
which flourishes in the neighborhood of Carlingford, for Mr. Lake had leanings towards pre-Raphaelitism, was thought by the best judges to show a wonderful amount of feeling for art, and just missed being selected for the prize. A girl with such talent was naturally much appreciated at Mount Pleasant. She made the most charming design for Miss Marchbanks's handkerchief. Lucilla, in Gothic characters, enclosed in a wreath of forget-me-nots, skillfully combined with thistle-leaves, which Rose took great pains to explain, were so much better adapted to ornamentation than foliage of a less distinct character, and the young draughtswoman was so charmed by Lucilla's enthusiastic admiration that she volunteered to work the design in the cambric, which was a much more serious matter. This was on the eve of Miss Marchbanks's final departure from school. She was to spend a year abroad, to the envy of all whom she left behind, but for herself Lucilla was not elated. She thought it very probable that she would ascend Mont Blanc, as far as the Grand Moulet at least, and of course in spring go up Vesuvius, having got through the Carnival and Miserere, and all the balls in Rome. But none of these things moved her out of her usual composure. She took it all in the way of business, as she had taken her French and her German, and her singing, and her political economy. As she stepped into the steamboat at Dover, which was to convey her to scenes so new, Lucilla felt more and more that she who held the reorganization of society at Carlingford in her hands was a woman with a mission. She was going abroad as the heir apparent went to America and the Holy Land to complete her education and fit herself by an examination of the peculiarities of other nations for an illustrious and glorious reign at home. End of chapter 2 Recording by Michelle Crandall Fremont, California, September 2008.